Okay, so question of the theme. If you were a wandering spirit and you could possess anybody and anything, what would you possess? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I I feel like I would want to possess an animal, <laughs> right? I already had a go really? around as a human. Yeah, I, I, I want to be an animal. What, I forgot. What did you pick when it came to which animal you'd be in the lobster? Yeah, I picked a uh, uh, Jasquero. Oh, you? <laughs> a, yeah, you, a, you a went jaguar, for a high. Yeah, jaguar squid uh, parrot. Okay, so this time you obviously can't. You can't do Pokemon. You have to transfer your soul to a person, animal, or thing. What animal, I guess? Then are you picking? Um, I, I don't know. I guess for the sake of a question, I want to try to think of a person, but. Or thing, or thing. You know, you could, you could go out like Christine. Good point. Do you have anything in mind? So my thought is if I were a spirit and I could possess anything, I would totally possess a spaceship. Because there's nothing more fun than going throughout the galaxy and then having this witty banter with my captain. Uh, it, it would be like a whole thing. I would definitely enjoy that. Like Rather than just being a computer, being a spaceship, a fancy spaceship, and having that be my character, that'd be awesome. And then I could like project the human version of myself. Like it's not real, like it's a hologram. But when I want to hang out with the crew, I can do something like that. Yeah. Uh, didn't, wasn't that like a thing in um, the one the forbidden world or whichever movie we watched where the captain talked to his spaceship and the spaceship would, had some sassiness to, oh, to yeah, her. To totally. I, yeah. What, like his, his spaceship played Beethoven. I would totally do yeah. stuff like that. Um, I guess in, in that vein of, of thought, I would probably pick like a sword, like some cool weapon oh. who I could then talk to my warriors with and be like, listen, I've been doing this for years. All right. You gotta, you gotta control yourself. You gotta, you yeah. have to read this book, Sword Heart, by T. Kingfisher. I've recommended it on the podcast before. I think way back in, I think, episode three, maybe even, um, okay. when we did, like, The Princess Bride. But Sword Heart, it's a sword that has the soul of a warrior inside it. And anytime somebody takes possession of the sword, he's like a genie and you unsheathe the sword and he comes out and he's this awesome warrior. Uh, and then he can also, he protects you and he protects the bearer of the sword. That also yeah, sounds sword, like sword um, is a great choice. Sword is a very <laughs> good choice. My, that kind of sounds like, um, Giver, the anime Giver. Only instead of a sword, it's like bio armor, and like he pops out. Like you call him like a Power Ranger, and then he surrounds you, and you can use his powers. But if you start to get defeated, he might step up and and help protect you. Nice. You see, people, nobody has to die for your soul to possess something fun. I think we've given a lot right. of great alternatives to um, 
killing people. (laughs) Uh, All right. On that note, let's get on with it. This is Necromancer. Necromancer. My name is Shira, and I'm a fan of romantic comedies. Uh, my name is Brett, and I'm a fan of horror movies. Every week, this, there, that, here at Necromancer, Brett picks a horror movie, I pick a rom-com, and then, you know what we like to do? We like to flip-flop those movies around and turn the horror movie into a rom-com and the rom-com into a horror movie. This week, we are talking about films featuring possession. And, you know, you'd think that this is something that you only see in horror movie, but possession, body swamp, ghosts, I've seen all of this in romantic comedies, too. Yeah, I think the body swap and go, I think you see a lot of tangential possession. Um, But yeah, I was going to say most people probably thought that this was a topic that I picked, but that's not true. You're the one who suggested it. So I was interested in possession because I was trying to, when you picked Ghost of Mars and before we decided to make team ups the theme for it, I was struggling to think, I'm like, okay, what can I do with this movie? Well, there's, there's these, these spirits of aliens possessing Mars colonists possession. (laughs) That's a theme. But then I thought, you know, because possession is something that remarkably we see in horror and romance, just like abduction uh, is another one. Yeah. Well, I don't understand why people keep getting kidnapped in romantic comedies, but it's something that we tend to have a lot of fun with on that side. Um, it's like an adventure. It is. It's, it's like an adventure. Um, or, or stalking as well. There's just so yeah. much stalking going on in romantic comedies. And then on that note, there's also, I think, in more magical realism romantic movies, sometimes you play at the idea of possession. You know, I actually see this a lot more in uh, Korean dramas. Maybe that's because in Korea oh, they I, have I a, <laughs> a cultural tradition of shamanism. And, right. you know, there's in Asia, there's the practice of ghost brides and people getting married to go. So there's, you know, there's a lot more interaction with the spirit realm. And so there are a lot of fun, cute, romantic comedy series. Like there's one called, Oh my ghostess, which is on Netflix. Yes. That's the, that's how they decided to translate it. Or I think I've seen it also as, Oh my ghost. But it's about the ghost of a virgin girl who decides she needs to possess women so that she can experience physical affection and that will help her move on uh, and all the shenanigans she runs into as a result. Uh, So I think that there's a lot of fun things that you can do with romantic comedies too with possession. And I mean, of course, we've seen... We already watched a possession movie, The Conjuring. Uh, yeah, there's I was a, lot say, a lot of that my, horror movies get out of it. 
Yeah, a lot of my movies, even though possession hasn't been the theme, they've had possession in them. Uh, so, yeah, I think... Demons, too? Demons, yeah. I think a lot of uh, a lot of horror movies really like it <laughs> a lot. Whereas in rom-com, it takes a little bit more finesse to deal with the awkwardness of possession and the... Uh, <laughs> And the resolution. Yeah, it is very. I think that that's something that, uh, yeah, romantic comedies really mine the awkwardness out of having somebody else inside your body. Uh, Like, uh, I think being John Malkovich mines a lot out of the awkwardness of him living with the confusion of being possessed by multiple people. Uh, and, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, of what else is like this. I, I've seen multiple possession Korean dramas actually. (laughs) Uh, and there is one K drama where the ghost of a girl's father possesses the guy. And there's all this awkwardness that results because the guy is OCD But of course, the ghost of this girl's father is not. So he keeps waking up and finding himself in these really triggering situations for his disorder. And it's supposed to be really funny, but it's also kind of, you know, like you're saying, very awkward at the same time. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask you, what do you like about possession as a theme in horror movies? I like the idea that your body is just a vessel for these otherworldly things to use as pawns. And it kind of has like the Terminator 2 has a great use of this in action form, which is the Terminators don't care about their bodies. They are completely expendable. So like the Terminator can shield people he's protecting from bullets or he just he goes all out in every fight because he's like, yeah, this is the fate of the world. Um, and so I, I just like to, to, to put that idea into horror terms, like your body is just this meat bag. <laughs> For, for some demonic thing to use as puppet strings. Like, that's just really crazy that you could take a, a backseat to that or just be eliminated from that completely. Um, that's scary. Right. Yeah, I think the, the thing that makes it scary and makes it something so fun to return to in horror is this idea of your body being used. Yeah. Uh, like, when the demon possesses the person and the demon says, Shira's God, you know, yeah, it's like it's gone scary. where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, or the idea that once you are possessed, you're sort of eternally damned to hell. And sometimes it's a comeuppance thing, you know, don't meddle with dark forces, but sometimes you're just a, a lot of times you're a, just a random person living out in the world, you know, at one one. One day you're a, a bank teller. I was just for, thinking for it dragged me to hell. And the next day just you're an innocent you bank condemned. teller. Yeah. 
Um, you deny so I, one loan. One loan uh, to this to this gross lady who steals all your candy. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that's me. You're describing me. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that that's just, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about that. Oops, you're now in hell forever. Oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, so which movie would you like to do first? Uh... I don't mind doing all of me first, but I think a lot of my criticisms for Fallen are kind of, it, it's better to go with the, the weaker movie and criticize it and then use the next movie as an example of like, this is what, this is what Fallen should have done. Uh, yeah, I would definitely like to get into that. I think, uh, t what is it? Time is on our side. Yeah. Time is on uh, our side. Oh, so I was saving this hypothetical for if we did fall in, in the next episode, but I'll, I'll give it here. You are on your way to your execution. What ironic pop song are you singing? Yeah, I don't, uh, I, my, my pop culture musical sense is not as strong it as yours. It can be any song you want. <laughs> Yeah, but it has to be ironic. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. My, the first song I could think of was Under Pressure. <laughs> that would be great. And then you could have the inmates doing kind of a, a backup for you. Yeah. And, I and could they could be, be doing it. some stomp style percussion. Yeah, I like that. And I could just be like super chill walking down the, the, the green mile. Under completely pressure. not under pressure yeah 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 how about you <laughs> i know you've got one locked and loaded oh you you know i've got one locked and loaded i was thinking i would stick with the stones and i would do not fade away because you could have somebody one of the inmates come in there with that harmonica solo i mean you know there's no instrument that belongs in prison more than a harmonica <laughs> Um, yeah. and you know, just everybody's having a good time while we're saying not fade away. Uh, and then, you know, when I get back later and I'm possessing people, having them go up to people and go, love is love and not fade away would just be fun. Uh, yeah, I think that would have to be the one I, yeah. And I really like the idea of like the jailhouse doing the hand bone B break out the jailhouse harmonica. Oh be so much fun uh or uh, since we watched a steve martin movie there's that song from the jerk tonight you belong to me that would be a spooky one yeah a, a very spooky david fincher remix of a pop song oh he loves <laughs> doing stuff like that uh so i gotta ask why fallen for this theme because you had a lot of choices I did have a lot of choices, but I thought a lot of pressure. I know a, a lot of pressure, um, but I didn't want to do a demonic possession movie because we, we've kind of already tackled that a little bit. True, true. And I think that like demonic possession is sort of uniquely one kind of movie. Like, but it also it, is a demonic possession movie. Uh, <sighs> 
I mean, yes and no. This is the most bizarre demonic possession movie. But most demonic possession movies kind of stray down this one main branch of the horror tree of genres. And this movie does fit on that branch of demonic possession, but it's just like this tiny, awkward little twig with one tiny little flower on it. It it just, it's very different. And all I remembered was the fact that when you touched someone, the, the soul transferred. And I thought that was mm-hmm. a really cool idea. And that's oh, yeah. all I remembered. They use it to good effect. Yeah, all I remembered was one scene where they're all surrounding Denzel, talking back and forth. It reminded me of like the Matrix when they're in that program with all the twins, mm-hmm. uh, the agent program, and then people keep turning into Agent Smith. Right, and then uh, I don't know. I remembered the ending of this movie being a little bit cheap, but it, it pissed me off a lot more this time. Um, yeah, I don't I know. I mean, I I was fine with the end of the movie, mostly because I was, you know, lukewarm about this movie overall. So I by the end of the movie, I was kind of like, yeah, OK. I had a very Chad response to the end. OK, uh, I, I think that's how I felt the first time through. But this time through, I just... All I saw was the wasted potential of an awesome idea that had sort of this idea had one shot to be a cool movie. And for reasons that I think are very common or for obstacles that are very hard to overcome, it just didn't have the right it didn't have the right drive behind it to to be the movie it needed to be. It's a victim of being made in 1998 before they really knew what people had a tolerance for stylistically. Like, I think that this movie could have been a lot more atmospheric and leaned into the noir elements uh, that they kind of played with, but didn't really go all the way with. And, you know how I feel about twists, but we'll get to it. Uh, I can fix this movie in three words. And what? that is make Denzel Constantine. <laughs> if this was a Constantine movie, it would it would increase everything. I don't know if I agree with you. Uh, but again, like we'll go through it as as you go through the criticisms of the movie, like if this movie was a Constantine movie, that means it would have to also be approached extremely differently. And and you would basically get rid of the first half of this movie, which we can get into, but oh you boy. You know, I would have I would have liked uh there is a point where like the narration starts out where he's like, I like the night, and he goes on to describe these things. And I thought to myself, if the movie started here, that'd be great. Yeah, if the movie started with this Frank Miller monologue about walking down the streets at night and never knowing who's really around you and and who uh, you yeah. know and who yeah. you don't know. Yeah, that would be way cooler than than what we got instead. But on to what we got instead, which is uh 
Philadelphia police detective. I didn't even know they were in Philly until Wikipedia just told me. Yeah, um, me neither. Um, but yeah, Philly detective John Hobbs visits serial killer Edgar Reese, whom he helped capture on death row. Reese is in high spirits and during the conversation grabs Hobbs hand and delivers a spiteful monologue in an unknown language assumed to be bitter gibberish. But of course, this being a possession movie, there's only one language that matters folks, Aramaic. Um, yeah, I don't, John, and, this John Hobbs guy is supposed to be a sharp detective, but there's some dumb things that he doesn't know in this movie. <laughs> and well, th- he also doesn't know he's in a possession movie. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. You're, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then as Reese is executed by gas, he sings time is on my side by the Rolling Stones. Wouldn't you know it? It's going to become a motif. Um, so Hobbs and his partner Jonesy, but we're introduced to Donald Sutherland and then James Gandolfini and then John Goodman. I was so confused about who Denzel's partner was until finally I was, I realized, okay, it's John Goodman and the it's other John people Goodman. just show up. But John I didn't Goodman realize not... that James Gandolfini isn't James Gandolfini yet, so I assumed he was more important than he was. Right. James Gandolfini is just the guy who the new guy who comes in and, and rubs Denzel the wrong way. But John Goodman is his he's his partner, but it's not a 50 50 partnership. It's not the kind of law and order partnership where they walk around and they do things together. John Goodman is more like oh, no. a personal assistant. <laughs> he's more, he's like, yeah. eh, go, go call these people while I do the important stuff. Yeah. Go, go case the building or whatever. <laughs> like he's on the sidelines in more ways than one. Um, yeah. So Hobbs and his partner, Jonesy investigate a string of new, new copycat murders. Uh, but as they follow the hints given by Reese or the quote-unquote copycat killer, Hobbs tracks down a woman named Greta Milano, Miss Honey from Matilda, uh, and Greta explains that her father, a former detective, killed himself in an isolated cabin after being accused of a series of occult murders similar to the ones Hobbs and Jonesy are investigating. Uh, Now, this is also the first instance of like the world that they're building just doesn't make any sense because she knows that this is a demon and that they have to fight. She knows that there's people involved in the fight against the greater good versus the greater evil, but she completely turns him away and delays the movie from progressing for no reason. The movie for is two hours long. Thirty and minutes. Her her cooperating would have made the movie at least half an hour shorter. If this was Constantine, he would have gone to her, and she would have brought him deeper into the underworld instead of That's shooing him away. So my uh, my all of me horror is garbage, but but. I really got into my rom-com for 
fallen and I do fix this. Yeah. I'm yeah. It's an easy fix. (laughs) Uh, But also the other thing is we do get the sense that he knows he's in this possession movie to a certain degree because the, the clues and the manner in which the people are dying are exactly what this guy referenced. Right. And, but the clue is dumb. The clue is, What's the space between a lion and a Spakowski? Like, that's not a well, riddle. He's like, what? Yeah, it's not a riddle. It's just a clue. Yeah, it's like, why is there a space? And then we find out that it's this police monument, and the space is Milano, which is the father of the lady who just happens to be right. a theology professor. I thought that we would have gotten more out of her expertise as a professor yeah. rather than her personal connection with but the there's all, fallen. There's also this like subplot of the politics involved in good cop versus bad cop. And it just doesn't, it was one conversation, but it was so out of context. They're talking about cream, but then they really mean bribes. And then there's also a police civilian shooting that kind of seems like it's going to be a big deal, but then isn't. But then Um, it's also like Milano. The reason why he got his name taken off is because he 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 went crazy and and he started copying these murders. But it wasn't really him. It was the demon fucking with him. And so like and Donald Sutherland's entire character is basically to go like there's pressure from above. You but 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 like it's so vague and it's so dumb and the the riddles just don't do anything for me in this. They're not riddles. They're just clues. But also. I would be terrible at writing riddles. That's a very good. That's a very unique skill to have. Like if you can write riddles, you you should. You probably love the Riddler, right? <laughs> like, right. But riddles, riddles are not. That's not how riddles work. Um, but the movie portrays it as a riddle. Like I completely agree with you. I, I like the yeah, distinction between riddle and clue. But I feel the movie portrays it as a riddle, when really it's not. The movie is wrong, is all I've You're got right. to say about that. It is. The movie is wrong um, about a few things. Um, so Hobbs goes to the lake house, uh, and in the basement, he finds several unsettling books about demonic possession. He also discovers the name Azazel. I always thought it was Azazel, but maybe I have been saying I, I would have assumed it's Azazel. Okay, so Azazel, uh, written on the wall, obscured under layers of grime. Um, So then Hobbs asks Greta about the name, but she tells him to drop the case. And it's like, there's nothing a movie detective loves more than somebody telling them to back off so they can (sighs) say, I'm not going to back off. That's like a reverse refusal of the call, but you, you only get one shot at it. And it's at the very beginning of the movie. And, and this is like an hour into it. it. And it's two lines. It's back off. No, <laughs> that, that's all you need from this, this thing. Yeah, you're right. They, she once again, delays the plot from happening so that we can get more of a miss. This movie should not be a mystery movie. 
for the first hour well, of the also movie, because they expose the in the in the very first scene they do show us azazel's point of view and him yeah. hopping from body to body i assume it's a him um in this case or they but whatever we see azazel hopping from body to body so we the audience know before denzel does what the actual problem is so it's like why delay it um right. let's get to the fight <laughs> yeah i yeah the the movie should because the the idea of ramping up the tension doesn't work like this it's it's not the hitchcock show us the bomb underneath the table the fact that we the audience know that this is azazel it just makes the whole first half of this movie frustrating as denzel tries to kind of sort of figure it out even though it's super obvious Right. So, yeah, if you're like, that's the thing is if you're going to expose the bomb to the audience, there is a timer. Yeah, on, you're right. You're right. Yeah, there's a timer <laughs> on how long you can withhold the information from the main character. Yeah. And if this was a Constantine movie, we wouldn't have to convince Denzel that there's greater forces at play. Constantine's first thought would be, oh, crap, there's greater forces at play. I'm not good at knowing the specifics of the greater forces, but I'm good at being a detective and being a con man and playing these evil forces against themselves and stuff like that. So the first half of this movie would be him gathering useful information instead of information we, the audience, already know. Have you read Hellblazer, by the way? If you haven't, I'll loan you some of the comics I have. If your only exposure to I think I've seen a little bit of it, yeah. If your only only exposure to Constantine is the movie and the TV show or Legends of Tomorrow, just the then movie. The, I love the movie so much, though. Oh, you gotta you gotta meet I know. comics I gotta, Constantine. I gotta dip in. This I, is I do. you know this is this is you think movie con movie Constantine is a Muppet compared to comics Constantine. You know, yeah, he but does Keanu so much Reeves just makes stuff. the cutest Muppet. <laughs> he is an adorable Muppet. Uh, but yeah, so, so Greta delays the investigation again for no reason. Uh, and then she reconsiders after a terrifying confrontation with Azazel, we needed more scenes like this of yeah. people knowing how Azazel works and the scene where she's running away while Azazel is touching one person to from another to get to her and then, you know, getting trying to punch through the car and then he fails to do that and then he touches the other guy. You know, we we could have had a ton of awesome scenes like that where it's Denzel and Greta against the force moving from body to body. Um, but no, we, we just get a little tease, little, little niblets, um, little kernels. Uh, so then she reconsiders, obviously, and she uh, meets Hobbes in a church, reveals that there are fallen angels among <laughs> us that possess people because they have no bodies of their own. Uh, and then Hobbes realizes that Azazel, while possessing Edgar Reese, shook his hand before the execution, but 
was not able to possess him. And then Greta explains that the demon will try to ruin his life and warns him of Azazel's inevitable victory. Uh, so this Azazel, is the dumbest thing. I, well, I was also, what, what changes? What changes in the end that makes him possessible? Because I mean, sorry, okay. spoiler alert. I, like, what changes to make him possessible? I completely missed that. Okay, let, let me let me start from the beginning. First of all, she's like, uh, he touched your hand thinking he would be able to possess you, but then he couldn't possess you. So he said this chant, which 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 old lady dragged me to hell, gypsy marked you as his next target, and then he could only possess you once he's out of body and quote-unquote fighting for his life. So one, why is Denzel not able to be possessed? It doesn't make sense. She kind of mentions a chosen one type thing, but it's so dumb. Two, she mentions my breath equals 500 cubits, or he mentions that. And she's like, oh, one breath is like when he leaves the body. I never put that together. Like, do you have a PhD in theology? You never put together one breath Yeah, she's supposed to be the expert. They could have been giving us so much competence (laughs) porn with her. Like, I think it would have been great to have her be the character who gives us the competence porn and, you know, gives us, this is how it is. This is how we trap the demon. But then once, okay, so he's only able to possess Denzel once he's fighting for his life. But once he's killed in the gas chamber, isn't Denzel right there? Like, just do it then. He, he's got a billion, not a billion, but he's got two dozen people to choose from, one of whom is Denzel. Pick Denzel. Like, why? And it's dumb that his whole motivation in this movie is to just troll Denzel. Like, if this was a Constantine yeah, he, movie, there would be a greater Azazel evil Azazel is a troll. The, the movie should not be about Azazel trolling Denzel. The movie should be about Azazel trying to do something extra dynamic that Denzel then has to try to catch up with what he's doing and then try to stop what he's doing. Well, I mean, technically isn't Azazel also trying to start the apocalypse? Okay. But okay, first of all, the fact that Denzel doesn't know what apocalypse means is he knows dumb. what apocalypse means. But I mean, the fact that they made his character not know what it means is really silly. Hey, sister, does apocalypse mean anything to you? Oh, well, it does remind me of the book of revelations. Like, (laughs) oh my God. But yeah, but how how does fucking with Denzel bring about the apocalypse? I don't like this movie is just so much wasted. Hey, fuck with Denzel and you can find out. That's true. I should. Uh, I don't know. So I. I mean, I'm. I'm ready to kind of start. Yeah, wrapping up this movie because I think both of us uh, will have better insights in, because of our our remixes. I'm. I'm excited okay. about the remix. Oh my god, I had a. I had a lot of fun with mine. But yeah. Anyway, so so Azazel trolls Hobbs for a while. He visits him at the precinct, singing his signature stone song and hopping from body to body. 
and then he possesses his nephew and punches oh, yeah. his brother, which was just mean. Yeah. Uh, and then he makes Hobbs shoot a teacher. And again, you think that this police involved shooting is going to become a plot, but it's more like, oh, Hobbs, you really messed up, man. <laughs> uh, and then finally, Donnie Sutherland tells Hobbs that they suspect him of the murders and Hobbs decides to go home uh, and escape where he finds out that Azazel has murdered his brother. So he takes his little nephew and they go on the run. And then I guess he gives the nephew to Greta to take care of and then goes out to the Milano cabin uh, I assume if it's the Milano cabin, it's on Pepperidge Farms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I yeah. couldn't help myself. Um, and he calls Jonesy. Uh, Stanton and Jonesy come to arrest Hobbs. But oopsie daisy, turns out Jonesy was possessed by Azazel this whole time. And he shoots Stanton. Uh, and then uh, in the ensuing struggle, Hobbs is able to shoot Jonesy in the stomach. So Azazel is dying slowly. And then Hobbs starts smoking these cigarettes that are laced with poison. So even when Jonesy dies and Azazel goes to possess Denzel's body... Denzel will die, and in dying, Azazel will die. Okay. So, that is what's supposed to happen. So, but here we go. All right. So he he takes over Denzel, and then we get this thing where it's like, oh, it's the flashback to the beginning of the movie. Oh we yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't even mention. In. There's all these these all the there's all this narration like I like the night or let me tell you about the time I almost died. Yeah. And now we're wrapping things up, but, and the narrator so, appears again, and the it's narrator Denzel. The narrator who is Denzel's voice is actually Azazel, the bad guy. And he's giving this uh -huh. whole narration of like, oh, my God, I've been tricked. I can't what die. What a twist. I've been, I've been alive for millennia and then I might die. Aha. But remember, I said this was when I almost died. And I was like, oh, my so God. Dumb. <laughs> and then he goes into the cat. Now, first of all. This is stupid. And then he goes into the cat. Because I just want to I just want to make sure that that part is heard because yes, Denzel heroically suicides and then gets possessed by the demon who seems like he's going to die, but then he says, "I I'm telling you this is when I almost died." And what does the demon possess? A cute little kitty cat, which is shown earlier in the movie but also it doesn't make it okay that you show it earlier in the movie the rules of this horror movie are so dumb it's like it's <laughs> because the answer to everything is just because well how come he can go into a cat because how come he can't possess denzel because how come he can possess denzel only in this situation because it's so dumb and yeah you're right the fact i i saw on uh, imdb or something that 
some a, a group of fans came together. There's this whole underground not oh, market. Oh wait, so are community. you telling me that this is one of those movies that are for fans of this movie? There's a fallen no. fan group. No, this is one of those movies where the fans united on the the underground community of fan remakes, and they they did a remake of the movie that got rid of the narration, and Denzel wins in the end. And so that would oh. be an interesting remake to see. Uh, a remix there's fan remixes out there where they take i had no idea yeah and so that would be cool but yeah and then okay so azazel goes into denzel's body what is his narration his narration is denzel's voice once he possesses the cat his inner narration should be meow 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 (laughs) It's it shouldn't stay Denzel's voice. <laughs> Maybe the demon decided that Denzel's voice was the voice for him thereafter. I just by the end of this movie, I was so frustrated with again all of the ways. I was just bored with this movie. I didn't. Yeah. Um, I was trying to. It, there's there's one movie that you've picked for this podcast where I admitted to falling asleep during the movie. Uh, but I, I did rewind it and watch it, (laughs) but, but this movie, I got so distracted. I had to pause the movie several times just because I got distracted. I agree. Um, that said, this is a horror movie. So we do have to talk about our crushes. That's it. Yes. We got to talk about the crushes. And I'm wondering who your crush is going to be hmm i mean i guess it has to be denzel i mean i just everybody else in this movie is so boring yes but azazel is very frustrating i mean he seems very flirty but he's also frustrating but this movie like you said is two hours and it tries to go for a slow burn maybe jonesy i could give it to jonesy i think Casey Jones, Elias Kotias, at the very beginning was like, holy shit, I did I forgot he was in this movie. And he does he delivers a fun, demonic, trolling uh performance. The so Edgar Reese guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Casey Jones. Oh, is that what I recognize him from? He was Probably. Casey Jones in Ninja Turtles. Yeah. So that's, I liked his performance and I thought it was. Yeah, he was giving us a little slice of taxi driver. Yeah, it was like a, like a carnage sort of, isn't his name Casey something? Casey? I have no idea. I don't know. But yeah, so I, I have a little crush on him. I think that's fair. Uh, so would you like to go first for remakes? Um, I'll, I'll let you go first. Wait, okay. Tell me more about yours. Okay. So I don't really have a good name. I just thought fallen in love would be a good name, but I don't think it has any reference to the movie. So I don't know. Maybe we can do like a fallen. Is there a song that has fallen free fallen? We could do free fallen or something. Yeah. Free um, fallen. That would be yeah. cute. So Greta is, I I would also like to say, think of this movie not as a Denzel Washington movie, but as a Brooklyn Nine-Nine type silly comedy. Um, Michael Schur, like Good Place, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So Damon Wayans Jr. in the Hobbs role. Parks and Rec, yeah. 
um, maybe Cheaty. I like I like Cheaty um, from Good Place. So Greta is a police officer and she's investigating Lieutenant Stanton, right? And at the beginning of the movie, Greta uh, Greta and Hobbs are in a relationship. Greta is killed by Mr. X. We don't know who killed her. You know, the easiest assumption would be Lieutenant Stanton, but it could be anyone. It could, you know, maybe Lieutenant Stanton is working with someone. So we don't know who it is. So we can also, I think, appropriately maybe cut to blank years later, maybe one year later, maybe two years later, whatever. And Hobbes is visiting Greta's cremated box. I don't know what they call them, but you know, when you go to like a mausoleum type place that has all the cremated people in it, um, he goes to that. And so he, he kisses the, the box containing the ashes of Greta and through a groundhog's day type, we don't need to explain it type magic. Whoever he kisses is now possessed by Greta. Okay, so he is not. I like this. He is not possessed by Greta. Whoever he kisses, Greta touches its kisses. Right, and so a random griever again, like think like Kate McKinnon over the top, just some random griever that he walks by as he walks out of the the crematorium mausoleum. This random griever grabs him and is like, oh, my husband or my son or, you know, my 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 butcher. He was my favorite butcher. Oh, and he died. And now my slices aren't perfect. And she's crying and she's crying. I can crying. tell you've been watching the nanny. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. So then he like he has to console her and it's awkward. And then he kisses her on the top of the head is like a sweet little it'll be OK. But then boom. Greta wakes up in this random griever's body and she's like, ah, I gotta get to this place because she thinks it's two years ago. So she's like, ah, I gotta get to this place and stop Lieutenant Stanton from doing this thing. And so then we have a comedic little chase where, you know, he's gotta stop her from just because he's like, wait, Greta, what? And he's confused. So then we we eventually catch up and we realize the rules of this movie pretty quickly. That way we can just jump right into hijinks oh this is so fun right and so we have three things that that greta and Hobbes have to tackle one they have to do a fetch quest for their supernatural friend right whoever is their supernatural friend knows how to fix this this certain curse or whatever but he's gonna need the frog's legs and the eye of the newt and so they have to go on a fetch quest but again, it's rom com so it's hijinks, so it's fun. Two, they have to go on the whodunit, who murdered her. They have to find justice. And three, they have to go on dates because Hobbes has to move on, right? He can't hold on to Greta forever, and she has to help him move on. So Aww. here's how we're going to do it. The fetch quest, we're going to do goofy, like act like you belong type stuff. So he's got to like run up to a doctor, kiss a doctor, and then she's got to take over a doctor's body so they can go into this hospital and fetch this specific chemical or whatever that he needs. And then, of course, she gets pulled into surgery and there's surgery hijinks or there's a lawyer one where she has to like he has to kiss a lawyer because they need access to lawyer stuff, but then she gets pulled into court and she's got to defend this person. So just silly stuff like that. As far as the whodunit, I have this great scene where they have to interrogate 
someone who's a martial arts expert and Greta is not a martial arts expert, which means we're basically going to make this like an arcade game where instead of, you know, every time you die in an arcade game, you put a quarter in instead, every time Greta gets beat up in her current body, Hobbs has to then kiss a different MMA person. And so her job is to basically just beat him down in a war of attrition (laughs) So at the end of the, the fight, we'll have a giant pile of MMA fighters, and then we'll have one defeated Azazel, and then we can go on from there. Um, but yeah, so we also have some snooping. We can do some snooping type stuff, of course. But as far as the dates go, we could have someone approach Hobbs and give him a kiss so it's accidental. And then she's like, Oh, who is this body? And he was like, Oh, that's right. I had a date set up for tonight or something. And she's like, Ooh, a date. And, and he's it like, ended in a kiss. And well, no, it started with a kiss. The lady kissed Ooh. him first. And then as like, just a friendly little kiss, like a side little kiss on the cheek. Right. And so then, uh, he's on his first date with this lady, but she's his wife. So it kind of, it's weird. Um, and, but she has to like encourage him like, Hey, let's role play through a first date. And so we, we get some little, ah, awkwardness that's there. cute. there's like, there's lots of parks and recreation sitcom style hijinks yeah. in that way. Yeah. Like Leslie and, uh, Anne role playing yes. some kind of date. And so then we also have one where of course we're doing a lot of, of snooping and cop work. Maybe Greta has to go to her old partner's house and it's a party. And then the partner says, Oh, Hey, I want to set you up with this person. And then again, another accidental type kiss. Um, and so then, or, or I, I'm sorry, uh, he doesn't kiss that person, but Greta is there and has to like coach him through flirting. Uh, so it's not a date, but it's just flirting. And she's like, no, you got to learn how to flirt. You got to learn how to, you know, be like you were with me, be effortless and remember this. And, you know, so it's like, cause whenever someone says be yourself, it's like, how do I be myself? But if you had someone next to you sort of coaching you through it, um, it'd be awkward if it was your dead wife, but it's hijinks territory. So then at the end, we have a very action movie, diehard spoof type scene where, you know, I could just imagine Jake Peralta giving us some kind of yippee Kaye line and then kissing, um the villain on the mouth and the villain of course is like the jonesy it was her partner all along type betrayal you know lieutenant stanton gets some kind of comeuppance but then uh they're on top of a big building uh hobbs kisses the bad guy jonesy on the mouth and then through some kind of possession thing that the the remember the friend who's concocting this magic potion or whatever he gives it to greta so then greta jumps off the building and then she drinks the potion. So Greta gets to go to heaven. John Goodman, Jonesy wakes up mid-fall and then splat. He gets his comeuppance. And then uh You Hobbs... know I like a rom-com with death. Right. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah. And then that's the end of the movie. Like Hobbs gets to move on. Greta gets to move on. Maybe there's like a little hint of, you know, she's in the flower bed or something. Like she's... You know, like her spirit is now part of the universe. I don't know. But that's the movie. Uh, Very hijinks friendly premise. 
Oh, I got a hijinks premise for you too. I think mm-hmm. you'll I think you'll like this one. Yeah. I, can't I, wait. I I enjoyed that you took the uh the touching angle and turned it into a smooching angle. I did not think about that. And I don't think that's the first time I've relied on that gimmick of like kissing being a main part of my rom com. Like just turn it into a smoochy movie. More smoochies, less stabbies. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I wasn't very creative with my rename. I just called it Fallen Angels. Let's just call them what yeah. they are. Don't yeah, yeah, tease yeah. me. Let's, <laughs> let's just name it. So this is the story of Azazel and Gabriel. Two fallen angels that decided to stay on Earth without bodies instead of becoming demons in hell after the war between God and Satan. So it's like you had a choice. You could go join the demons or you can go hang out on Earth for eternity, but you can't go back to heaven. And so for about 6,000 years... This arrangement works perfectly. Uh, But Azazel and Gabriel have different perspectives on humans. Of course. Azazel hates them. Gabriel loves them. (laughs) Uh, And then they both love possessing people and taking them for a spin here and there. But, you know, Azazel kind of notices that Gabriel is doing it more and more. He's getting more into this. Is this going to be like a Jim Jarmusch, the only two lovers left alive type awkward comedy? Like a uh, some of it is is some of it is awkward. Low, a quirky, low well, energy. I mean, funny. yeah, quirky, low energy, funny. Yeah. So, but yeah, so they're two fallen angels, and then finally we get to the 1990s, and Gabriel announces that they want to be human. By the way, in this version. Angels are, they have no gender, they have no sex, they aren't people. Uh, They're not human. Uh, But Azazel's totally crushed by this. Gabriel, after after all these years? Uh, And they start listing out cons, like, you're going to have to choose sex organs. You're going to have to poop. You're going to die. Uh, and then when you do, you can't go to heaven. So why would you trade an eternity with your best pal for one lifetime as a person? But I don't know. Gabriel's on something. Um, but, uh, he's high on life. He's yeah, exactly. He's, er, no, sorry. No, he's not a he. Yeah. They, they're high on life. Uh, because ultimately Gabriel doesn't care about possessing a man or a woman. You know, I would say that Gabriel being a fallen angel is like Azazel in the first movie, an equal opportunity possessor. Um, so he goes about trying to find the right person to reside in permanently while Azazel keeps trying to convince them not to. So I think that you could get a ton of hijinks out of uh, Azazel moving into a new person and being like, you know, maybe I'm an Italian chef, you know, just 
just having like I think that even though Gabriel has been on Earth 6,000 years, he has an armchair expert's view on humanity or they do. Uh, I keep misgendering (laughs) my own characters. Damn it. (laughs) Um, You'll have to ask for forgiveness. Yeah, forgive me, character. Um, but but they, you know, they they have a of have a you know a casual fan's idea of what it's like to be a person, and as a result, they just keep getting into all this trouble. And Azazel's there to pick up the pieces and to to get get things going. Now. You'd wonder, what's the impact of all of this drama? Well, meanwhile, there's this detective, John Hobbs, who is investigating all these mishaps, and he starts to find the common link, which is that all the perpetrators keep saying this name, Azazel, because, of course, when Gabriel's possessing people, they're saying, Azazel, stop it, or Azazel, I know what I'm doing, you know, just really really feeling the moment. Um, And then Hobbes learns that the name is associated with the fallen angel by going to this theology professor, Greta Milano, for help. So immediately we get the information we need. Oh, you're after Azazel? Yeah, Azazel's a fallen angel, and this is what fallen angels do. So I, I, I just completely wrote out the extended uh, investigation so we can get right to the fun bit, which is Greta saying that they can summon Azazel through a seance. And so they immediately begin the preparations. You know, that's what, that's what should have happened. Greta should have been like, I know exactly what to do in this scenario we can summon someone to interrogate about Azazel. Let's do it. So they're going to summon Azazel. are great for horror and comedy. Uh, it's just so much fun. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now we flash back to our main, our main duo. Uh, Gabriel has taken on the body of a Magic Mike-style stripper <laughs> at a bachelorette party. So Azazel then possesses one of the bridesmaids. Like, I think you could get a lot of comedy out of one of the bridesmaids being really drunk and passing out hard. And then she goes, yeah, she rises up again. Uh, And then Gabriel recognizing that it's Azazel saying things like, look, I have a penis as he's, (laughs) you know, waving it around. Uh, and then they're having this conversation in this funny setting and maybe, uh, Gabriel says something like, ah, I like you like this while he, while they're gyrating. And then Azazel says something like, I'm wearing a sash that says same penis forever. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) this isn't fun for me. Right. (laughs) Uh, and then just as Azazel is about to share that they just, they can't bear to be without Gabriel. How could you leave us? Uh, they're pulled out of their host and transported into Professor Greta's office. 
and then of course Azazel's like, what the fuck? Yeah. You, you just messed it up. Uh, and then maybe the drunk girl passes out again, weekend at Bernie's style. Uh, and so you could get a fun scene of her dropping. Uh, and then Gabriel, of course, gets worried. And then Azazel explains what's happening. And of course, Greta and Hobbs are like, all right, we'll help you. But then Gabriel possesses Professor Greta and decides that Greta is the perfect person because theology, Gabriel's a fallen angel. They could teach theology in their sleep. Uh, Professor Greta, also Miss Honey from Matilda, looks great, super cool, just seems like the right fit. And it seems like all is lost. Uh, And then, of course, Hobbes at this point has a thing for Greta. So it's like, no, now this new connection is lost. Greta's been possessed by this fallen angel. And maybe we can get some comedy out of him doing or out of Greta doing really ridiculous things like eating a lot of food or just, you know, being a really bad professor and teaching theology, but theology from an insider's point of view. Right. So everything comes across real weird. Yeah. Like, ah, Moses, that guy was a trip. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, just just stuff that's really embarrassing, and Hobbes and Azazel are really upset. Um, And then Azazel announces that they're going to hell. Like, this is just, this is it. Gabriel, it's done. Uh, Gabriel is devastated. They're like, why are you leaving me? And Azazel says, you're the one leaving me. Oh. Uh, And then Gabriel asks Azazel to possess Hobbes because why not? You know, Azazel's got Greta. Uh, or sorry, uh, Gabriel's got Greta, Azazel could get Hobbes, it'd be a perfect setup. But as Azazel says, they hate humans, and they'd hate being one even more, and the only thing I don't hate in this world is you. So Aww. I'll wait for you. Uh, and Gabriel is moved by this and releases Greta and we get a nice huggy kissy moment with Hobbs and Greta because they've been released from yeah. this drama between two angels. Gabriel and Azazel are united again and then a heavenly light fills the room and an emissary from heaven is revealed And we learn that the crew from heaven has been watching the whole time. And as a reward for the love between these people, they are readmitted to heaven. Yep. The good old redemption arc. Exactly. Through the power of love, everyone is redeemed. You'd think that Azazel would have tried that. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I think your movie is another great, like, let's take the premise and run with it. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's very good for comedies. And I think that's one of the things that makes all of me just a little bit better Mm -hmm. and more fun than, than Fallen. 
Uh, but, you know, I, I think Fallen gave both of us some great rom-com remixes. Yeah. I, I like, I love Kissing Possession. Uh, and I also love Fallen Angel Shenanigans. Uh, let, let's get some more rom-coms out there with these types of premises. But in the meantime, <laughs> if you want to talk about it, you can always reach us on all the social medias, and you can also email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. Please like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends. Now it's on to Love Bites, where we recommend things to you that may or may not be related to this theme. <laughs> Brett, what do you got for us this week? Well, this week I've been doing a little bit of possessing myself. Oh, what does that mean? That means I have been able to take over the body of a mutant bull shark. And the and and what made this possible was the the video game Man Eater. Uh and I have to say I knew Man Eater as a very meme game. Meme being the uh, I'd heard uh, about it. Yeah, it's a very meme gimmicky, like 15 minutes of fame. People got their jokes out of it, and now it's over. Uh, it's basically Grand Theft Auto, but you're a shark. So you swim around, you eat animals for health and, and nutrients. You fight other animals for dominance. You eat humans because you're also mad at humans for destroying the ocean and stuff. And then you also fight bounty hunters because if you eat people, they're going to have to try to do something about it. Um, and it's just as a kid, I was obsessed with sharks. I had those like discovery specials on VHS that I would watch over and over that were just like, these are the different types of sharks in the ocean. Uh, and so just being able to swim around as a shark is so much fun. The game is so silly. The only problem that prevents it from being a great game is the fact that the combat in the game is super duper janky as fuck. Oh, no. it, it is almost to the point where it is frustrating, like smash your controller frustrating, which I don't get mad at video games like that anymore. But the fact that it there's no rhyme or reason to any of the combat does provide some silly laughs, but it also is extremely frustrating. <laughs> uh, but yeah, overall, I just like the shark. Uh, it's under the premise of Chris Parnell is this documentarian. So like he's talking about oh, the shark. Chris Parnell does voices. He does the voiceover of the main documentarian who's watching the shark. Oh, and your, awesome. your nemesis, you have this nemesis called Scaly Pete who killed your mom and scarred you on the fin. And now you're out. It's like a, a, a what's the what's the movie with the whale or the book with the whale? Moby Dick. Moby. Yeah. So it's like a Moby Dick type story. But yeah, you're just a sh I just love swimming as a shark. I love it. It's so cool. I don't know. I just. I love it. Um, how about you? What, what's your love bite? Well, love what a chomp. What a coincidence. I also would like to recommend a video game. So instead of possessing people, you might 
prefer instead to role play as the hero of a grand adventure. Maybe that's a better use of your time than possessing people. <laughs> uh, and lately, I have been playing the game Dragon Quest Eleven. This is a JRPG. It's tactical. It's turn-based. Uh, and uh, it's the, the same character design as Chrono Trigger for fans of JRPG. It's, uh, or if you're a fan of Dragon Ball and you like Toriyama, the yeah. characters have a very Toriyama look to them. And I love this game. I love this game. I love this game so much. If you have never played a JRPG and you're wondering, what's this like? Is this something that I might be into? I think that this is a perfect game to start off with. And why do I think this game is such a perfect game to start off with? It's because it's so nice to me. I've never had an RPG be so nice to me. And when I say nice to me, I mean save points everywhere. Every time you save, the game also asks you, do you want to continue? So if you're ready to take a break, you can say no, and it takes you right back to the title screen. Every house you walk into, because RPGs are all about walking into random people's houses and smashing their stuff. Every other barrel you smash has something in it. Like, I think I found a thousand gold in a pot once. You are rewarded handsomely for all of the exploring you do. You also can forge your own weapons. You don't have to buy them from the shop. So nothing you make is just a random food or a buff. It's actually stuff that's going to be useful to you. And so anytime you explore and you find new recipes for making weapons, it's just highly rewarding. And then the thing, the piece de resistance, uh, for the non-boss battles, you can set it to autoplay. So you can decide whether you want your characters to fight wisely or show no mercy. And you can just autoplay through the small battles and then do it turn-based for the boss battles where you really need to strategize. And then best of all, when you return to the game after having taken a break, it summarizes the story up to that point for you. That's huge. You could take a break from this game for weeks and come back and know exactly where you are. And there's tons of other little features in the game that just make it just... it. There's this thing with video games where they make things that should be easy hard. Um, and then things does that, that a little bit. <laughs> and then things that should be hard, easy. So like easy things that should be hard, like finding the right equipment, hard things that, sh that shouldn't be easy, fighting a boss. I run into this problem all the time where it's like I, I get a video game and my character gets super overpowered. And then the, the story parts, the parts that are supposed to be hard are suddenly super easy. And then the things that should be easy, like gathering resources, are super grindy. And then Dragon Quest is just the exact opposite of that. 
It makes everything really easy going. And then if you're like, oh, no, that makes the game too easy. You can set these rules. These I think they're like draconian rules or something that limits certain things that your character can do during the game. So if you really want to make the game harder, it's like, go ahead, make me harder. So I just I would think that this is the game that is the nicest game to its players that I've ever seen. Wow, um, that's high praise. I think I am not a fan of JRPGs. I I will not play them anymore. Uh, in fact, the only RPG I play now is the Bug Fables RPG because it's all side quests. So I can do two side quests and then I'm done. Um, and it's cute and it's bugs and I love bugs. But I have heard great things about Dragon's Quest. And yeah, I if you're saying it's good for beginners to get into. Absolutely. Yeah, very. I, this is a very good. friendly yeah. game. Dragon Quest Eleven. Highly recommend it. Very nice. All right. Well, how would Big Daddy Mars sign us off? Let's do it. <laughs> Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.